I'm Johnny Evans, and this is who I am. My guest today is Johnny Evans, a uh, beat boom up, beat poet, beat writer, beat boxer. Pretty beat. Beat up. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, in the, the drafty dra- garage. Garage, however you want to say it. Uh, you, you, you covered both. That's good. <laughs> is there a third option? That's the main. I don't think so. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Johnny. Well, why am I here for the job interview? I... <laughs> I think I'm the right man for the job. No, I'm been working on film productions for about 25 years and I've been writing mostly poetry for over 40. So hmm. uh that's my outlet. It's I've had many outlets over the years creatively, but I've always come back to writing. Mhm. I had a short-lived acting career on stage in Pittsburgh. I had a two-performance career as a lead singer of a band called Cat Butt. Um, you know, so I've bounced in and out of these creative outlets. And mm-hmm. I always come back to writing. It's always comfortable for me. It's As a quiet person who says little, I try to say a lot more on the page. So, mm-hmm. And what... Um what what kind of format were you starting writing and how did how did you first start expressing yourself with writing the first poem i wrote that i recall was called the road and it may or may not be somewhere buried in my parents house i know it's sort of a you know life journey kind of poem uh i always even up until about two years ago, would just write on anything mm-hmm. that was nearby, a cocktail napkin at the bar, a scrap piece of paper, a post-it, um, a magazine page. I mean, mm-hmm. so I have historically so many scraps like that, and then I eventually digitally put them in somewhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was my first poem, and that I gave to my mom, and she has throughout her life since made artworks based on it so it's kind of cool mm-hmm. you know yeah she's an artist excellent yeah and do you a, a lot of your stuff is um uh biographical or biographical isn't it or or is it that that is a a, a way of expressing yourself that you feel comfortable with with the, the real word and, and exploring who you are and and why you do stuff or yeah i do feel that it's really strong when i write from my perspective mm-hmm. you know when i don't like my writing is when i i just sort of write from a casual perspective and it's preachy and political or bitching about you know the destruction and of society and you know, I, I don't I think if you just write from your experience it's 
personalizes it. It it pulls people in. If you just you know, if you tell a story about someone else casually, it, it's great, but it's not you. you mm-hmm. know? So yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Mm. Now you, you said you work in film production, as I well know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you're a boom up. Did you start out as a boom up, or did you start as a utility, or was a I, uh, let's see, my first film of note was Innocent Blood. <laughs> I did not start out as a boom-up. Um, they eventually did hand the, the pole to the, the tall, skinny kid, but um, on Innocent Blood, I was uh, helped out in the extras casting department. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a snowy film in Pittsburgh, vampire mafia film mm. directed by John Landis. Oh, right. Very memorable. Um, a hard one to work on, but I, you know, it was my first film, so I was excited and felt like I was, you know, in the center of Hollywood all of a sudden. And mm. So that that's how I started, and eventually I I was a PA. I was craft service. Um, I could never make a cup of coffee right, so I moved on from that. Uh, you know, grew up in electric, mm-hmm. did a lot of movies in those departments. At the same time, doing independent f- films uh, as a boom operator, and then eventually ended up on the studio pictures and television shows. Mm-hmm. And stayed with sound, you know. Yeah. How long in, in Pittsburgh? How long were you working there for? Um, I left there in 2000, I, so I spent about nine or ten years in the business there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there was a... It comes and goes where there's periods where they, they do, you know, some big studio films go there to shoot. And so it was kind of nice, and it was an affordable city, and one I grew up in, and mm-hmm. fun. And and you do a, a movie or two a year, and then kind of fuck off the rest of the year. But, <laughs> you know... Eventually that dried up, so I came out here to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Kind of started over. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of had to work my way up through, uh, you know, horror movies, shooting out in Santa Clarita and working for $100 a day on certain films. And and then I got into the union here, and it was more substantial living. So. Mm. Yeah. What was it like growing up in Pittsburgh? You know, it's a blue-collar town. Steelers and penguins and pirates and sports and rivers and cruddy weather, and it's fun. It's, you know, it's a great city. It's got everything. It's got yellow bridges and a good arts community and a good, you know, subculture of music and arts. And, and I, you know, I liked it. I I liked the people. I liked the blue collar mentality, the hard working ethic, and you know, and and it delivered enough creatively for me to to keep me interested. Hmm. Um, it's a very old town. Lots of old people and hospitals, and you know, and it doesn't. At the time, it didn't change a lot. The architecture stayed the same. The the feel of the communities and the separation of the communities stayed pretty true to itself I, I i think it's changed since but you know i kind of like that old old structures and buildings and houses and you know ethnic communities and and ethnic groceries and 
and it was nice. It was authentic. Mm. So, right. And you said there was an an active arts community there when. Yeah, the arts community was, you know, small theaters and and bar bands and. Uh, the Andy Warhol Museum was mm. there. I worked there as a projectionist. Uh, you know, it was just there. I I think you know when you when you're in cruddy weather places, you you have time to go deep within and and bring out some some creative expression. And and I've always found that in cities like that, Pittsburgh and Minneapolis, and you know. So it was cool that way. And I started out uh, making little films. I went to Pittsburgh Filmmakers, you know, made these art films and projected them around. And, and that led to me acting in little films. And then mm-hmm. it led to me working on other people's little films and then bigger films and worked my way up to, to being, you know, on productions of where you got paid. So, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. Have you been to Pittsburgh? I haven't, no. No? no I haven't been that. I've, I've been... In America, I've kind of kept very coastal, which is... I know that's like a... You know, such a elitist right. thing to do is to stay. But I've I've traveled up and down both sides of the coast, except for Florida. I've not got as far south as, as Florida on the east side. Um, but I haven't gone that far in. I mean, the, the furthest I've gone in on the west coast is... Nevada, and the furthest I've gone in on the East Coast is Chicago, and that's it. That's like that whole middle section I haven't been to, but I'd really like to. I'd like to start traveling around and seeing America more. It's a big country. It There's is a lot to it. I mean, where you're from? What part of London? South. Southwest. And what is that like? Is it kind of working class and? It's a mixture. London is. Um, <sighs> You know, the, the the traditional part of London is uh, sort of east of center. And then the theater district grew up on the west side of that. So the what a lot of people consider London is the West End, which is where you have the theater districts. And it starts to creep into where the Houses of Parliament are. And on the east side, it was more industrial. And it's more, you know, there's still a real... Um, uh, Victoriana aesthetic that's there, that exists there. Um, and then you had these rural areas that were north, and then the southeast side was kind of considered this shady criminal area that always pops up in um, um, uh, Sherlock Holmes novels is where they, they go eventually to find the killer that isn't the killer or whatever. Right. Um, and southwest was just like this real... I mean, there there are pictures I remember seeing of the area that I went to school in in the the early 1900s um, and pretty much, you know, up until Second World War time where it was just fields and it looked like farmland. So it's a pretty young and a lot of people like don't consider it to be real London because it's it's out there. Cab drivers won't go there because it's just a pain in the ass for them to go out there and then get back and there's no no one goes from southwest London into London at that, like at night time. It's, it's the kind of place where people live. So it has a real suburban feel to it. But it's also very, like most of London, it's very overdeveloped and everything is on top of everything else. And it's less segregated than I think a lot of American cities are. 
um, you have a lot of really expensive houses next to really poor um, council estates and neighborhoods and everyone just kind of mingles together and there's rough places and there's less rough places but it was it was kind of a mixture for me it was you know it was it was working working class neighborhoods but um we we lived very close to a river that runs through the neighborhood that i grew up in so there was a few mills that were still around what's the name of the river the wandle the river what? Wan- the wandle wandle yeah yeah it's a good river it's a fine river as well known as the Thames, but yeah, it leads uh, into the Thames. It's a, okay. It, it flows down into it, but there was, you know, there was factories along there that were still there up until, you know, when I was going to school. Um, what kind of factories? There was an Airfix, the the model making factory. So there was like they were working plastics and, uh, you know, glue manufacturing. And I imagine, but there was horse staples around as well. It was, it was kind of a weird mixture because it was. It's very urban, but it has a real kind of pokey feel to it. But it's still London, you know. It's still, honestly, it's still part of London. Right, because Pittsburgh's obviously made up of the three rivers, mm-hmm. where the you know. It, it's funny. We I don't know if you got any use out of your rivers. We would force ourselves to go into the swim in the rivers, mm. and it was not a good idea because you know the industrial history of the city is hasn't pretty polluted but yeah so you would go in and get the flu right away but, <laughs> you know kind of fun or we'd go tubing behind a boat right on these muddy rivers and yeah pretty the, cool the river wandle a lot of it is underground because they're built up over it so it's not you don't get much traffic along there but there we used to fish in there there was a period in the late 80s early 90s where it got very polluted and then they made they actively cleaned it up so it's now actually quite picturesque there's a lot of heron that, that nests there and there's a lot of fish that have come back there so it's, it's quite pretty but w- yeah we used to fish there. there used to be eels and trout that would get picked up in there yeah i, I wouldn't need anything out of those <laughs> rivers but I, I hope they've i'm sure they have developed along the rivers because that's always a smart thing to do yeah it, really beautiful and then it's a nice way to live mm-hmm. back then it was pretty industrial right yeah i kind of picture you like a like something from a bruce springsteen song <laughs> through the he's very much indicative of the the rust belt of the united states uh-huh. you know singing about the the plight of the common man in the industrial corner of the united states and yeah you know so it yeah, Jersey, Pittsburgh, those kind of cities, Buffalo. It, mm-hmm. You feel it through Bruce, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. How much of a change was it coming out here? Um, it's a massive change, you know? It's going from a small city to a big city. It's going from a neighborhood to just an indescript, nondescript kind of sprawl mm-hmm. it's incredible out here you know it's there could be 25 pittsburgh's within los angeles county yeah but uh, it, it excites me and it, it's it's never boring mm. um to have the ocean and the the mountains and the desert and the and hollywood and old hollywood and new hollywood and 
I, you know, it's endlessly fascinating. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did you arrive in Hollywood? Did you move directly to Hollywood, or uh, did you go no, coastal? No, I was. I was one of like you. I all I thought about was the beach, mm-hmm. and you know, so I spent 15 years there. Mm. You know, Venice and Santa Monica and Marina del Rey, and it's beautiful. Uh, the ocean's beautiful. Um, going in the ocean's fun. It's cold. Uh, eventually, you just you outgrow it. Yeah. I mean, it's very sleepy. You know, they kind of they kind of go to bed at ten o'clock there, where I like to be up late and have the action just starting at ten. So mm-hmm. Hollywood's more suitable in West Hollywood. And so yeah, yeah, the West Hollywood especially is very much a, a bar town. And yeah, it's, it's it's got a good pulse. It's fun there. Mm-hmm. So what's uh. What was it like for you to come here? Can I ask questions? You can. Turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> you can and you do. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, I, I still get a little shocked by it. Um, it's, it, I think it's the same thing. It's, you know, for for all of the growing up in, in what I consider to be London, it was still like a small, it, it's so broken down. You know, you... You go to London and you get two people from London and it's not like this person is from London and this person's from London. It suddenly becomes about this person's from north or south or east or west or southwest or southeast. And this person's from this neighborhood and this person. So they really sort of, uh, it's all very micro and, and you get, you really get used to that sense. You know, I used to, for, for a lot of my childhood, we lived on an estate that was completely contained. You know, there was, it was all cul-de-sacs. So cars would come in and that's it, but you didn't have through traffic. So every kid was on a bike going around this estate all day long. And it was, it seemed huge to me at the time, but I'm sure it was tiny, but there was everything you needed. Kind of cut there. off though, isn't it? Yeah, because there was, yeah. they had a, a, a convenience store on the estate. They had a, um, a community center with a hall where people would go and, you know, they'd have discos there or they'd show football matches or whatever. Um, and everyone lived at what in everyone from the school that I went to lived at some area of the estate. So we'd all get on our bikes and we'd ride around. And, you know, that was, it was very small. And coming here, like you say, is a sprawl. It's a massive, massive sprawl. And, you know, I'll, I'll be driving along and I still get, I still get a sense of awe when I see the mountains when I'm driving along or the fact that you can drive 40 minutes in any direction and get snow in one direction and the beach in another direction and, you know... It's incredible. High desert in another direction and Mexico in the other direction is... 14,000-foot mountains, the ocean, yeah. the desert, the dunes, you know. It, it's pretty incredible. I, I got to ask you, that. where do you keep the bodies in here? <laughs> it's fucking cold. <laughs> It is morgesque. I, I keep talking about like how I'm going to get a heater in it, but it, it comes summertime, it will be unbearably hot. Yeah. At some stage, I will insulate better than There'll just be hanging two sound blankets. Yeah, because yeah. you can't kill off all your guests. You need some of them to come back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is cold. I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. It keeps keeps me... Keeps you fresh. Vital and fresh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It brings, brings you back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, so, so you you came here. You moved into 
uh, out out by the, the coast, and then you slowly worked your way inland to Hollywood, and you kind of tapped into that vibrant bar scene. And wh- when did the writing start here? Did you did you have a break, or have you, were you writing the whole time? And I always write. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm really strict. You know, I have to write every day. I'm not like that anymore. I even had a a mandate probably 10 years ago where I said, if I didn't write every day, I would draw blood, mm-hmm. my own blood, not somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> that was a little intense, and I, I think I only did it once. But, uh, yeah, I've always written here. I, I think I even took a year off once in Venice and really just was a bum. Mm-hmm. Sat on the beach, wrote, went to the bars, wrote, you know played around it was but it's yeah it's been the common thread mm-hmm. no matter where i've been it's it's been a nice nice way to express but hmm. yeah do you feel like there's a because you know there used to be uh places like skylight books where there was a real sense of like a writer's community where people gravitate towards there and you could go in there and you would you would see these um these great authors just hanging around in there and maybe they'd go grab a coffee or they'd, they'd sit I want that. I want that. It's more typical to go to Coffee Bean and see people on their laptops writing the next great screenplay. But yeah, Skylight uh is a great little area. I they had my book there for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh sold a copy or two and um I want that though. I I like that sense of community where you walk in and you know you're around, you know, fertile minds yeah. putting down words. And, um, my neighborhood bar right now is Musso and Frank Grill, mm. uh, and you know, the Biggies wrote there. Faulkner and and Bukowski and and the big stars hung out there. Chaplin and Bogey and Marilyn. It's you know. It's nice to walk into a place where that kind of uh, activity took place. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, you definitely get a sense of the the energy still being there in some respects. For sure, some of the same bartenders are still there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some of the same sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it still you know still works. Mm. But and your book is um, was that the first time that you went for a long form thing or? or was that just the first one that stuck? No, that's the first. I've published individual pieces and other poetry and prose collections. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the first time I, I published. And I published with Bam Baz Press. They're in downtown L.A. Um, the book's title is called Crushed Bones in the Crosswalk. Uh, and I can't tell you how satisfying it is to have a book in your hands. I mean, you know. Mm. What's you have this tangible thing that maybe will be around for a while. Yeah, you know, not just thoughts in your head or or poems on your laptop or or on a on a bar napkin. You you have something that to give and hand out. And yeah. So yeah. Yeah, there's something about that that added dimension of of physical depth to something that like you know the. The third dimension to f- to make it feel so real that you can hold it and it can be there it, for all the convenience of of how you can get stuff out now and uh, all of the kind of loftier ideas and 
you know, the, the, the more transient ways of, of presenting material, having an actual physical book is still, it's still like a, a real thing. It still hits home. Right. Yeah. It's legitimate. It's something mm-hmm. to, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm proud of the book and I want to publish more and have more in the works. And so, uh, yeah, it's nice. Tell us a little bit about the book. What's it? The book is probably almost 60 poems. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's kind of spans mostly the last 10 years of my life. And a lot of different themes. It seems to all come back to sort of maybe an urban decay, some of my personal experiences. Uh, and the structure of it is there's a three-part poem that is the beginning and end of the, f- the book as well as nestled in the middle called Dream Vacation, and it sort of it ties it all together. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you've done some, some readings around town, right, with the book? Yeah, I want to do more. I like to do, uh, you know, I have some poet friends and we'll get together and read. And then I promoted the book by um, talking to the Surly Goat, a bar in West Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wanted to, a lot of that was written there or edited there. Mm. I was going through a, a divorce and... Surly Goat was the nearest bar, and it's a great bar. Good beer selection. And I would just go over there and and really just chat up the bartenders, work on my poems, edit the poems. Um, so it's like it, it's logical to, to just for me to have a, have a reading here, a public reading, sit on a bar stool, read my poems, you know, sell the books, and just have a beer with friends. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just I kept it as casual as could be. It was so much fun, you know. And then I had a second promotional sort of party Mm -hmm. at a friend's house, and he had a beautiful backyard, and we put on a, you know, kind of potluck and sold some books. I did a reading and had some, you know, pretty good cross-section of people from the film community from you know, actors to writers to fellow sound people and friends. And it was fun. Mm. It was good. Mm-hmm. Good get together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a, a something about here that's really present is that there's this real um, sense of like, uh, like people enjoy getting together to share what they've created. Which is, you know, I don't know about you in in Pittsburgh, but for me in London, it was the stuff that I was doing there. I, it was very much for me. It was very much like my thing, and I didn't really want to talk to people about it or share it with people because I never felt comfortable expressing it. But being here, you get isn't that a same. shame? It is, yeah. And it, it's just, do you think it was coming from you, or is it a more judgmental society? I think it probably is. It's more formal and. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that like yeah. maybe one begets the other. You know, it's it's you don't feel comfortable 
sharing things because you don't feel like it's there because you've experienced maybe in the past some moment of being told that it's not of interest, you know, or it's not necessary or... Well, I'm not I'm not overly comfortable talking about myself, but I am when I'm publicly publicly reading. Mm-hmm. I I would almost say that's the only time I f- feel fully comfortable. Mm. I mean, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. And if I'm in a place where I feel that I can't share in that manner, I, I got to change the place. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I don't. You know, Hollywood's not exactly geared to uh, poetry and prose and, you know, it's more of an industry town. It's more screenplays and writing the next television show. Or, mm-hmm. And that's fine, you know. It'd be fun to write that stuff too, but I, I, I still feel that all are welcome here. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to find your little corner, but there that corner is out there. Yeah to whatever it is for you, for your your graphic novels, you know. Yeah. yeah you like sharing them here, right? I yeah. And you shared them with me. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you get me in the right moment, then I'm more than happy to. If you ask me what they're about, then I still get that. You know, that anxiety still is there of like, oh, God, what am I supposed to say here? But I'm getting more and more comfortable talking about that stuff. And it's just a... You know, it's a, it's understanding that there is th- that there is a separation. There is like you know, like you said, this is this is an industry town, and I think I think people are more interested in talking about stuff that isn't work related, that is creative here. And I think that you know, once you see that enthusiasm uh, is out there, it's you you start to get more comfortable, and you realize that you know. It means that you're asking why are you doing this to what end are you doing this? And I think it's, it's um, you know, there is a, an element of people not wanting it to be like uh, I'm doing this as a means of an end of making it, of like selling it as a screenplay or I'm, I, this, this is my big plan to get out of this. If you're, if you're genuinely creating something because you enjoy it or because it makes you happy, then there's definitely like that you see there's a lift of enthusiasm that exists for for people here i've I've found anyway isn't it great i mean i feel you know when i started distributing my book people were so supportive Mm -hmm. and anything i do that's sort of out of the norm of of a film worker you know if i go and run a marathon or half marathon trail race on the on the weekend or publish a book of poetry or you know people are really excited to hear that you're doing something other than working and sleeping and and stressing about the next job or Mm -hmm. you know at our at my age i'm older (laughs) than you getting getting ready to my friend said it best he goes you're really sucking the marrow out of life you're you're not just Somebody our age is getting ready to fit into relaxed fit pants and you know, <laughs> whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, so mm. it's cool. What were some of your? Uh, what was some of the stuff that that inspired you and uh, uh, that you enjoyed when you were younger? Reading, what kind of poetry were you into, or, or prose were you into? Yeah, I. Um, 
I started out as I really credit my dad for my mom too. I'm sure uh, she got me more into music and some other art forms. She's an art history major and an artist, and, mm-hmm. and my dad had me reading. I think the first book I read was um, Steinbeck's uh, Cannery Row, mm-hmm. and then Old Man the Sea, mm. Hemingway. Um, but as I started to f- kind of find my own legs in the writing community, I, you know, the, the beats were great. I mean, sort of liked Kerouac and his being an ex-jock who, you know, wrote really honestly. And uh, and then you discover Bukowski who, you know, when you're a 20-something drunk with a furtive eye towards the girlies <laughs> you know Bukowski speaks to you and he, he in an honest kind of way mm-hmm. about that sort of coming of age experience and, uh yeah so you know I'd say those guys and then you get uh, you know Neruda and Rilke and you know some of the really beautiful poets that I, I mean put magic to words that I don't think I'll ever be able to do but Mm. Good, good, uh, good mix of influences. Mm-hmm. And you were a jock as well. You started out as a jock as well. Yeah, I, I was. I tried. Um, I played soccer through college, uh, and then a little bit after college. But yeah, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, and you know, I always liked playing soccer, and I taught skiing in college, and. You know, so I've always had the sports, mm-hmm. sports gene. So, hmm. with your with your writing, you said that you you write anywhere and you try and write every day. And is there is there a, a a pattern to how you do it? Is there a do you find yourself getting overwhelmed with ideas sometimes? And you're kind of you're you're in a place where you don't have a way of making notes, and you're kind of losing ideas, or is it more have you trained the muscle enough now that you're kind of like, I can get up, I can write, I can sit back and then let it be and then go back and edit it? And Yeah, I, it's it's a variety of that. Mm. You know, there are times where I'm, I'm, I have to, you know, say, listen, you're, you're going to the coffee shop today and you're going to write and you're going to turn off, you know, your electronic devices and and stick to it. Otherwise, you know, everything else takes over and you're, you're drawn into Facebook and you're drawn into the, you know, all the tasks at hand. And the, But yeah, I, and there, there are times when I'm overwhelmed with ideas and wake up in the middle of the night and I, I, always, I always put them down somehow. Mm-hmm. I've written things in the dark on a notepad by my bedside which are, you know, illegible in the morning. Yeah. But I can pull enough out of that, and sometimes it it goes nowhere. I mean, it's just a, a fleeting thought that wakes you up, and and but usually, you know, if I put it down as a note, it, it ends up somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. it's important enough to to end up in a piece that I'm writing, it, mm-hmm. and I like that. And it, I can have, I, I like it when. I don't. I don't know if you. I don't know if. 
I don't know how much experience you've had with the the creative suffering. I I, I think we all do. Hmm. When I'm I'm really suffering and I'm down on myself about not writing or only being only working and sleeping and and no creative output and not where I want to be at this point and uh something something peeks through always there's always a little collection of words that I hear in my head mm-hmm. and I'll I'll write them down or I'll I'll meet, I'll just stop what I'm doing and just start writing mm. and those three words turn into you know a few pages yeah thankfully and then it's relief you know yeah yeah i definitely i know that i i i i know that feeling of like you know, it's I don't get writer's block. Uh, it, it's more like a writer's distraction, where it's like I know that the story's somewhere in there, and I'm just it's it doesn't want to come out just yet because I'm distracted by something. So it's I get very um, meditative when that happens, and I start to think about. I start to think, is there a single image that I can think of now that will crack the story or is there a moment is there a beat can it and you know i'll listen to music or i'll meditate or i'll you know i'll I'll walk around and think for a bit and it it eventually gets there but it's more it is that distraction like you said earlier about switching off your electronic devices and not getting caught up into that stuff that's i think that's like the real you know the, the whole not letting yourself get bored thing is very bad for creativity and yeah i I think I'm a little more volatile. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I I have there are times when I get to the point of utter despair, mm. and then something saves me and I start writing. Right. Oh. I don't know why it's that charged, but it is. And uh, I guess I don't know what poet said it. You know, all you have to do is improve on the blank page. I mean, mm-hmm. so <laughs> you know, but uh. Yeah. So how do you share with your graphic novels, Mm -hmm. comic books, how do you share them? I mean, do you just give them to people? Do you ever do a public reading of of such things or is there any other way to show them? I've not done public readings. I've given them to a few stores. Um, There's a great uh, shop in... Burbank uh, called House of Secrets, which is very friendly to independent creators, and um, they've always been really sweet and and held my book there. And um, I, I a few years back, I made a decision to at first I was getting everything printed and doing these short runs of each issue, um, and I made a decision to just have those available as digital comics. And then when I have enough for a collection, work on getting a physical collection collection getting a a bigger print run of a physical collection so um the it means that you know they they exist in this ephemeral state out there where you know i don't know if people are reading them but they're online and they're available but there's no it kind of removes that interaction of you handing a copy to someone in a lot of ways um but i go to conventions as well i go to comic book conventions which is always fun you set up like a, a really cool booth and uh and I don't interact know if it's really and cool, but I and yeah. interacting is not my strong suit. <laughs> I will say that. It's tough for me. Um yeah. I tend my pattern tends to be I get there, I set up a table and 
you know, I've realized after a couple of years of doing it, I've realized that fussing around the table isn't that, that people can, can drive themselves mad trying to chase the perfect table layout or trying to right. find the perfect thing to have for each show. And it's best just to say, look, this is the book I have and here it is. And um, a lot of times I, I get into the shows and then I just start walk, walking around and seeing what other people are creating. And I, you know, I really, I get fr out from behind the table and try and find other books, other independent books that are out there. Cause I, I, I still enjoy that side of it. I still like finding small publishers and small printers and in independent people and seeing what they're creating. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at shows because I'm always absent or I tend to just like sit down and then maybe I'll start making some notes for a story. And I don't, if someone comes over, then I'll, I'll engage with them at that stage, but I'm not like a carnival barker where I'm standing up and calling people over. And right. Cause people must go to all, all kinds of extremes to, draw attention to what they're doing I, yeah yeah I, I can imagine we're both sort of pretty subtle about it <laughs> happy yeah. with the what we've created and yeah um yeah because i i really don't know how to it seems like so many people are are really good at reaching a wider audience through all these new electronic formats mm -hmm. and i don't know how to do it or yeah. don't have the the wherewithal to do it but it's it's a nice thought you know? yeah yeah and i i you know there is a part of me that maybe it's a jealous part of me that sometimes wonders if you know that's another skill set that it doesn't necessarily translate to you creating something good it just means that you're good at getting people to see what you've created yeah and you know there's there's probably a nice balance somewhere in between the two where you can focus more on creating something and then just give just enough energy so that people can find it or you you know how to present it. Be nice to going back to wintry uh, images here in the middle of winter in this frozen garage um, to be able to trigger some sort of avalanche though of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of interest in your in our books. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah, because you know it's it's nice to sit back and go, oh, you build it and then they come kind of dreamy idea of being discovered somewhere yeah. down the line. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there is, you do have to do the work or get someone to do the work for you. And I, I'm at that stage still where I'm just doing it for, you know, I said earlier I was doing it for me, but now it's more present. That's, that's the difference. I'm still at that, like the, the blossoming stage of it still being for me. I, I, create comics because I have stories that I want to tell and that seems like a medium that I understand and can play around with and you know make something at the end of it I'd love to really would love to write a, a, a novel but I'm I second guess myself so much with that kind of writing it's yeah here here <laughs> <laughs> I'm halfway through a novel a first mm -hmm. draft of chicken scratch and you know, I, I don't know how you have a bird's eye view of what you've done or mm -hmm. what I've done, but I need it because I want to finish that fucker and it's going to take a lot of cleanup, um, but it's, I think it's a good premise. But mm. yeah, it, it's a whole different undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I see. You know the 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 National November Novel Writing Month thing they do every year. They're supposed to write a fifty thousand word novel in November, and they you know they set up. Who? Uh, uh, it's a it's a organization that's oh, okay. set up, and people you know you can do it online, or you can get together in your community and get together and write. And the idea is that you get up every day and you write, you know. 2,500 words or whatever it is, 3,000 words. Um, and, you know, th- in theory, that's 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 a great idea. It would be something fun to do, but then... I do you stick with no, stuff I've, like that? No, I've never been able to stick with it because, I start, like I said, I second-guess myself. So I get to the stage where I'm, I'm like, I maybe do three or four days and I think I've got the idea, but then I start thinking, oh, do I really want to do this part or do I... And it, I, it's... It's a mechanical thing at that stage. It starts to become like, I just have to write my 3,000 words and then I'm done. And it's like removing the the um, the essence of creating and making it a, you know, it, it becomes the badge of honor is that you're doing the mechanical act of writing, which is, is good in some respects if you want to, you know, the, the Stephen King always says you should write every day and it becomes like a muscle that you exercise and, and there is an element of truth to that, but if you want to create something and you want it to be um, something personal, or you want it to be, you want it to to mean something to you and to other people, then you have to, at some stage, not make it mechanical. You know, you have to give over to the muses or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I that kind of external stimuli works for me. I. I love the idea, and I love that somehow you could adhere to some mandate like that and write every day and have a consistent output, but it's much more emotionally dramatic for me where it's all or nothing and write five pages one day and then uh, sit for a week and you know not be able to get anything but gibberish out. Mm-hmm. You know, because if... <clears throat> when it's, you know, it feels like a push-up challenge or something, like do 10 push-ups a day or something. And yeah. Or 20. And, and it's it's different. I mean, creativity is different, I think. So. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if, if, if I, if you ever find a, find a way that, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I said, I, you know, I, I used to have to write every day without fail. And sure, a lot came out of me, but, uh, you know, I don't know if the quality was any better or mm-hmm. or if at the end of the year if the output was any more. I mean, I don't think so. Mm. Mean, but, yeah, the, the whole flexing a muscle part, is it's true, and you get better. And, you know... I read stuff from 20 years ago and I'm, I don't even recognize it. So it's, you, you do sort of zero in on your voice mm-hmm. progressively, I think. Mm. So. Hmm. Do you, do you write, uh, do you finish your, your drafts before you go back to edit? Are you, do you feel like you have to get it done and then go back to, to edit or? Have you ever been interviewed? Uh, I have. Yeah. For? Um, for a DVD extra on a, uh, a low-budget movie I did, um, it was very weird because I they we were 
on in a, a practical location in a house. Um, and we did the interview in the bathroom. That was the <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting on a toilet. Why does sound guys always end up in the toilet? <laughs> 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 well, that's uh, yeah. So you had to talk about the experience, not necessarily so much about yourself. And mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. All right, we were talking about uh, what were we talking? Editing. Oh, yes. Um, no, I try to get through the first chicken scratch draft. Just spill it out, puke it out, and not overthink it. Mm-hmm. Just get that first run out. You know, certainly I'll, I'll go back and look at what I've written. Like I'm writing a, I'm calling it an epic poem right now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a hero's journey like uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey or Beowulf or anything, but it's kind of in the vein of of Howl by Ginsberg, Mm -hmm. a long-form poem. And I have to go back and look at stuff that I've written, and then that'll yield a a little bit of fine-tuning. But for the most part, I'll I'll get through that first draft and then then edit a lot. Mm. So, yeah. Do you enjoy the editing part of it, or? Yeah, a lot, a lot comes out. A lot of flourish comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I'm a little bit. I think I self-edit a little too much, and don't, you know, I will curtail. Um, if I'm on a writing tangent, I will curtail it, and there's more to be said. Mm. You know, a lot of people, you know, just in daily conversation can talk a lot Yeah. before they get to the point. <clears throat> I don't say anything until I get to the point. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and maybe I don't say enough even after all that. But, yeah, I, I've i been working with a, an editor and she's been great. Mm. You know, she, <clears throat> she likes what I, I write and... Uh, I should probably clear my throat away from you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she says just enough to get me to add a little. Yeah. You know, mm. go a little further. How did you meet her? She's, uh, her name's Bambi. Uh, she's a poet. And I was studying with Jack Grapes. He's a local L.A. poet who was pen pals with Jack Sorry, uh, Charles Bukowski. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I was studying with Jack. He has a workshop. And Bambi's, you know, a friend of his and also in that community of poets and writers. And she's just the ultimate cheerleader, you know. She's very good to kind of build you up and make you feel good about what you've done. And she... She'll she'll prod you a little bit and get nice uh, nice additional uh, writing out of you and and flourishes. So hmm. uh, I just met her in that community mm-hmm. locally here in LA. So she's been really helpful. Hmm. I like the idea of this community. That's a community that exists somewhere in LA that 
I like the idea of them going into coffee shops and turning over the the tables with all the screenplay laptops smashing down on the ground. And yeah, yeah, taking over. <laughs> and I I do. I I wish I always envy that. You know, mm-hmm. just sort of a rough and tumble gang of poets or graphic novelists. You know that <laughs> look at people stressing out over. You know whatever they're stressing out over in the coffee shop and it's coming in and with a swagger and mm. adding a little more substance to the surroundings. Mm-hmm. So, Where can people find your stuff? Um, it's only online now. Mm-hmm. Amazon. Uh, it's just a good way to sell. I mean, I, I interfaced... And talked and got my book into a lot of local stores, and I'll do it again. I love, I love every store I went to was incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. Skylight and even Amoeba and um, Book Soup. I mean, they're they're all incredible. I mean, and were very supportive, and my books were there. And but now it's just Amazon. I, you know, tell like. Until the next book, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So. Cool. Well, Johnny, thank you very much for coming down to the cold garage, garage. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to go get a popsicle now. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some around here somewhere that have just naturally appeared. Right. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for uh, giving a platform to you know, up-and-comers like me and mm. some of the others. That's it for the show. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at whoiampodcast at gmail.com or phone at 818-308-4066. We're on iTunes if you want to subscribe there. And if you feel inclined, please leave a rating. And if you have any interest in being a guest on the show, we have a contact form on the website, which is at whoiampodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am. <laughs>